Hey everybody, welcome to Wisecrack Talks. This is episode uh, 32. Tonight's, I guess it's morning time, isn't it guys? It's going to be called uh, A National Agenda Comes to Local Politics. And you can find me on Wise Guy Talks. Just search it with your podcast. I've got a blog. And, uh, and I'm starting to add to the Facebook content so you can catch it off of uh, Facebook as well. Just look up Wise Guy Talks and that's where you can find it. So, welcome to our first Wise Guy Talks Facebook Live, episode 32. Uh, and this kind of relates back to an original post that I put up called The Trojan Horse Comes to Town. So we're going to be talking about that Trojan Horse today. And we're also going to be talking about the candidates that are running for school boards. I was supposed to have Al LeMay come here today, and unfortunately Al could not make it. And uh, Robert, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I just came for the wine show, actually. You came for the wine? I came for the wine show. Oh, oh the wine show. Yeah. Is there wine here? You know, <laughs> wine, wine, wine. So, uh, and then Cato. And you're not going to be able to see two of the guys here, unfortunately. It's just a limitation of the portrait mode, and I apologize for that right off the bat. So, everybody's ready, Cato. How are you doing? I always like to ask. Cato usually is very happy and good, but this morning Cato is a little cranky. <laughs> and you don't want to know. No. You want to know? No, I don't want to know. Uh, if history is any indicator, no, I don't want to know. So, uh, Juan, how are you doing, brother? Doing great. Uh, you know, I was all pumped up and ready to come out here for this, and all of a sudden, one of the flex pipes coming out of my water heater springs a leak. You know, uh, Satan, he, he likes to he likes to try to throw, uh, throw stumbling blocks in our path. He most certainly does. So, and Robert? Doing great. Doing great. Great, great. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad you could make it. So we do have some video limitations. I do apologize. We're mic'd up for the podcast, but the microphone's coming over the, the cell phone, which is transmitting on uh, the live feed. So sound quality won't be the best, but I think people will kind of get an idea of where we're going to go with today's show. We're going to break it into two parts. And basically, we're going to talk about um, the 10-time gorilla that's in town what I call the Trojan horse. And then we're going to see how that relates to the candidates, their positions, and we're going to talk about those positions. Um, we've done quite a bit of research. Last night, Alzio and Fred Stovall did a phenomenal job with the, uh, the Republican Forum. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but uh, they did a really good job to drill down uh, real deeply with the candidates, all of them except for them. one of the mayoral candidates didn't show up, which was kind of a shame, but uh, it is what it is. So if you guys are ready to go, what I want to kind of do is jump into a brief history of CRT. We want to try to keep it as short and pithy as possible. Um, Juan and uh, Robert and Kato both have very sticky brains, so I could just say talk for an hour and then I could come back 59 minutes later and Juan could still be talking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's okay. Is that a good thing? Or? <laughs> Probably not. It's Juan's ear. It is a good thing. But uh, we do have a time limitation because you, you have to be out of here. I do. At what time? Uh, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. So we have two hours. We may try to do a second episode. Yeah. Remember what we were yeah. talking about? Yep. Yeah. What was that? Is that how? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, it slipped my mind too. Yeah, thank you. So anyhow, let's talk about CRT and why it's so important. Um, and my understanding, one, correct me, keep me uh, in line here, but it's basically uh, CRT was born of Karl Marx, came from the Frankfurt School of Critical Thought, 
and that's what they called it at the time. The ideology actually came, was exported to America in the 30s and the 40s because uh, Adolf had kicked them out of town, said he didn't want any part of them, so they came to American colleges. Um, and it was called critical race at that time, but eventually it became critical race theory under left leftist philosophers such as Michael Foucault, Antonio Grassi, uh, Herbert Marcuse. More recently, Angela Davis, Kimberly Crenshaw, Bill uh, Bellhook, uh, Robin DiCangelo, and that's where it transformed, transformed from critical race to critical race theory. And as it's even evolved as we continue today, you're going to see where language is really important with these guys. You know, they they're going to throw out uh, these these words, and if they don't, if they're not accepted into society, they just change them. Yeah, just want to correct you a little. It was critical theory, and it became critical theory. Yeah, so basically what happened was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had the uh, the critical theorists, right? This is an adjunct to the, the, the Frankfurt School was an adjunct to the University of uh, Frankfurt. I think it's online. Um, and I'm going off memory, so forgive me if I'm saying something right. a little bit incorrect. But you had a man named Horkheimer uh, who decided that you know, all, so what everybody needs to know is all these guys adhere to Marxism. When you hear people say, this isn't Marxism, they're thinking in terms of economics. Horkheimer said, no, Marx was right, but this can be applied to other things besides economics. It's all the different power structures in your life. And so, all right. And then after that, you had the real giants of critical race theory. And the real giant, I should say, is Herbert Marcuse, who was a student of Horkheimer and diverged a little bit and came up with some other theories, but he started to look at uh, the, the power of structural, the structural power of uh, race, whiteness. And so this whole idea stems from the, it, 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 the idea that racism is structural it is basically saying every institution, structure, uh, anything that makes what, what we know as uh, the founders' philosophy on our country. So things like freedom of speech and thought, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the idea of human freedom, all those things were basically set about in order to propagate slavery and white power. And yeah, go ahead. So, okay, I, I just want to thread that needle a little bit because I, I go back a step further, right? Because I, I hear the same things people locally saying, you know, CCAP has nothing to do with critical race theory. And you're exactly right. They're thinking in, more in terms of government controlling the means of production and things like that. Right. So I go back a little further, which is which is Karl Marx's uh, conflict theory, right? And and conflict theory is based on oppressed versus oppressor and whatever labels you want to put on those. He 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 put proletariat bourgeoisie were the labels he used, and and the Frankfurt School and and, and these these philosophers that Juan's talking about. Really, we're, we're looking in the, in the early 20th century and asking, you know, why, why didn't the, the big revolution occur, right? What, what happened? And what they realized was, you know, you have this thriving middle class, particularly in the United States. They're, they're, they're not going to be motivated to rise up and revolt against the government based on their economic status. So how do we apply these principles of conflict theory to other elements of society to create the sort of division that we need to create the environment for a revolution. Correct. So race is the critical element in critical race theory. Without race, critical theory would not work. And it began with actually George Floyd, 
Before this, no one heard of critical race theory across the country. I mean, people that were in the academic knew critical race theory. But George Floyd was the um, they used they used that yeah. to push this, and with less than a year, it's all over America. Correct. So, right. The race is the critical element in critical race theory. Yeah, it, it's still Marxism. It's cultural Marxism. It's not right. a different lens. It's only a lens that's been refocused, and you know, over the years, it's been focused on. Uh, gender. It's been focused right. on uh, sexual preference. Now we're seeing it focused more intently on race. And our enemies, like China, are using this against us. This right. is feminism. In many ways, the feminism was based that's, on that's the right. of it. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of goes back to Kimberly Crenshaw. I, I should say radical feminism. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Third wave. Yeah. 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 Queer theory, actually. But and then that brings us to where we are today now, but they've kind of changed and kind of coming off CRT because they've seen all the negative press that it's given. And now they're kind of calling it uh, applied postmodernism. They, they love the word games, which is equal to uh, what we all now call euphemistically wokeism. And that's what's knocking on the door of our public schools to inculcate our kids essentially back to the beginning of this discussion in the Marxist philosophy. And nobody should kid themselves in this process. That's what this is really all about. So what I did was I broke this down into three different discussion points. Uh, I call it DIE, D-I-E, and that's discussion of diversity, inclusion, equity. I see all of these as dog whistles and alerts to what we call the, the woke left or the devil's triangle, these three words. And words matter. Um, so we're going to break, break these down and kind of go around the panel and talk about diversity. Um, to me, diversity, the diversity that they're thinking about and the diversity that we're thinking about is not the same thing. It's not the same word at all. As a matter of fact, it's not what we would classically think of in the corporate or the military environment as a diversity of ideas. It's more of a diversity of identities, of lanes in life. Um, and even within that subcategory, it has to be authentic diversity. It's not enough that it just be skin color identity. It's got to be authentic diversity. And, and from that, <laughs> this is better. And it's following down the rabbit hole. So from that, um, the majority can never have true diversity because they evolve from what they call false consciousness. They are not authentic. They haven't lived the authentic experience. Uh, they all suffer except for one, Cato. <laughs> By the way, you guys are, uh, I guess you're exceptions to the rules here. Uh, they, uh, we all suffer from the original sin of the father, defamation of blood. We're permanently guilty. And uh, I, I see it as, as the left trying to exacerbate divisions in zero-sum game. That's the way I see it. And so that's what I got. Let's go for one. Yeah, I mean, when we think about diversity, we think, you know, Lincoln, team of rivals, right? We think of the idea that I want to bring people in to solve problems and discuss issues. And the extent that they are diverse in their backgrounds, uh, whether that be race, creed, religion, whatever, is only valuable to me in terms of the different perspective they can bring to the problem. Thinking outside the box, you know, you hear that term a lot in corporate America. 
It's bull crap. There is no thinking outside the box. You have your box. If I want to think outside the box, I need to bring somebody in that comes from a different box, right? And open my mind a little bit. But these people are only concerned about diversity in terms of gender and, and you know, sexual preference and race, because that's their gods. They're not really after diversity. They're after uniformity. So people like myself and Cato, you know, we've each been called white supremacists. We've each been called... You know, I had some person telling me that I was supporting the KKK. And, you know, my initial inclination, like any rational human being, would be to say, what the living hell are you talking about? Right. I mean, you weren't there in 1977 when I was referred to consistently by many people that I went to school with and in my community as that little Mexican boy. And it wasn't just a descriptive term back then. But the same people that propagated that back then now want to label me as white supremacist because of nothing more than the fact that I don't agree with their ideology, their orthodoxy. I appeal to logic and reason in my personal life because I care about what works. And so for them, I'm a race traitor. So um, we're going to get to Robert here, but I, I do want to say that some of the candidates have kind of shifted their positions. We'll go into more detail on that, but they shifted away from CCAP. And this is broadcast as far as local. Typically, I aim more at a national audience, but this is local. So if you're local, you know what CCAP is. And uh, they, they found out probably through anecdotal polling that it's not the most popular word in town. So they kind of shifted to the die concept, uh, diversity, equity, um, and inclusion, inclusion and equity. Uh, some of them are actually leaving off the equity part, just die without E. So you know, so I think it's important that we just kind of beat up on these subjects quite a bit, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Well, Robert, you got the floor on diversity. Well, I think all of these terms, the left has a remarkable skill of taking the word we've all used for a long time and making it mean exactly the opposite of the way we've always used the word. And I don't have much more to add than what Juan said, but I can tell you from a business perspective, I came from the business world. As a manager, when you're building a team, you don't want monolithic, monolithic thought. You want people to come in with, with different perspectives and ideas and approaches, exactly what Juan was saying about getting outside the box, right? And so you want to build a team that does that. And frankly, you don't care what color people are, what their religions are, what country they came from. You don't care about any of that. You're, tr you're trying to achieve an objective and you know you need to, do, to be innovative and to stay ahead of the competition, you have to have people who think differently. To me, that's what diversity is. But when you apply you know, rules around, we must have a certain number of people that look like this or came from here or, 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 or celebrate this religion, what you do is you actually drive diversity out of the organization. Exactly. And it makes no sense, right? So, right? so when they say diversity, in my mind, it actually means the exact opposite of what diversity really means in my mind. And I think a lot of Americans. Well, diversity, well, they dropped the word equity. Now it's mainly diversity and inclusion. They, they don't really define what diversity is. To me, diversity is actually not unity, according to them. Diversity is teaching my kids one day Chinese music, the next day Vietnamese music, and Vietnamese culture. So how many cultures do we have in the world? This 165 countries. 193. 93. 94 maybe. Which sounds okay. So, I forget. Yeah. Okay. So something like that. So <laughs> yeah. how, how many cultures? There's probably a thousand cultures. Yeah, sure. So 
How can you fit in all those cultures? And who gets to decide which cult- culture should be taught? Yeah. Who are they? That's yeah. a great point. And, and I'll tell you that I've, I've made this point consistently. I'll make it again here for the people that haven't heard me make it before. And that is, if you really want to cultivate cultural competence, if you really want, and, and as they define it, right, the ability to uh, work with and appeal to other cultures and understand where they're coming from, if you really want that, you need to work on communication skills, but moreover, you need to understand your own culture in depth. Um, and I've had plenty of experiences uh, in other countries for extended periods of time. Uh, I was embedded in a Brazilian army unit for three years uh, where I was the only one that spoke English. Um, and that was an experience. And what I found and what I find consistently, including my time in Iraq and Afghanistan and in Panama and you name the country, I find that what I'm really doing is I'm going back to the root of what it means to be a human being. Because guess what? That's what we all have in common. You were in the Peace Corps? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So, well, I was in the Peace Corps. And I, uh, I went through diversity training. How'd it go? Huh? Well, for two years, I loved it. But, but then again, I, did so, I don't, don't want to make fun of people, but diversity is... I'm not going to make fun of anyone. Look, so, here's the thing. Diversity is not unity. And they kept talking about unity. No. no. How do you have... You know what's the best way to actually have unity? It's shared, shared pain. It's integration. It's not no. inclusion. It's integration. Correct. It's yes. integration. So you're, you're hitting it on the head, right? Because what this is really about is multiculturalism. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's what they're trying to achieve, right? And, and if we don't have a single culture that we all melt into, and there's, it doesn't mean we're all the same in everything that we do. Right. Right? There's these core principles of freedom and individualism right. that, that we all have to celebrate as Americans. And that's what they're really trying, and you get to the heart of it, it's collectivism versus versus individual. I, I gotta jump on this, because that, that's a great point. Uh, you're talking and, about multiculturalism? Yeah. Let, so me, let me finish with multiculturalism. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. History is about what? Conflict with cultures. That's history is all about. Right. It's conflict. The history of wars, yes. the history of men. What's the best way to unite people of different culture, different race, different color? Integration. The faster you integrate into any society, wherever you go, the better you will be off. Yes. Share value is what we are looking for. There's so many avenues we could take this down to demonstrate the truth of that, including undermining the entire basis of the 1619 Project, which is based on a lie. And there's really a, a great integration story behind that. But I'm, I'm going to say... I'm say as the moderator, we got to keep this thing on the road. No, no, no. I, just, I, I need to say this, though. Diversity. This is why I came. This is why I came. I got to say this, that at the core of this, this point that, that Cato is making about uh, unity versus diversity is the rejection from the left of the concept of e pluribus unum. That's, That's right. what they're rejecting, right? Exactly. We have shared values in this country that make us American. And that's based on a promise, and that promise is found in the Declaration of Independence. And we've all heard those words, right? We find these truths to be self-evident. And you can you can pick up your copy of the Declaration of Independence, and if you don't have one by your side, you're wrong. Yeah. And figure it out. That's what we all share, and we're all uh, heirs to the promise, whether our ancestors were the men who came here and set this up or not. And Lincoln made that point in, I want to say, 1858. I have to go back and check. But isn't the philosophical construct here in this discussion, this debate, that multiculturalism, all cultures are equal, and as a result should be given the same gravitas that the Western culture that America is essentially no. built upon? Look, I, 
I have Asian culture. Close your mouth. But then again, I'm, I don't want to approach my bias. But that's what I'm saying. I, right. but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we respect everybody's culture, but we don't assume that they're all equal on the same playing field. I believe in American exceptionalism. That's what I believe. We gotta find, we gotta find common shared values for culture that we can exist as uh, Americans. Look, they are culture that I consider a uh, chicken culture. Do you have your mic on? Uh, is it on? I don't know. I can't hear it. It, it, it is on. Try to do, give me a short count. Should I repeat that? Just count the five, please. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, all right. Just keep it close to us. Okay, I'm done. So what, what what kind of a hole did you just use? <laughs> he said a chip hole. Chip hole. <laughs> yeah. They are chip hole culture that I don't want my kids to be integrated into. If you're an immigrant and you come here, and you, I mean, why would you come here if you didn't think that the American culture, and I'm not talking about Burger King and McDonald's and rap music. I'm talking about the idea that you are not born into a permanent station in life and that you can raise yourself up and that nobody has any lawful basis to stop you from doing that. And you can make something of yourself and leave a legacy to your children. If that's not superior, then why did you come here? And if you didn't come here for that reason, then guess what? You're probably an invader. Yeah. And that needs to be pointed out. Okay, guys. I agree. How we do it? Ready to keep moving? Yep. All right. So here we go. Let's talk about inclusion. I'm kind of losing track of my microphones here. All right. Inclusion. Uh, I'll toss this one up. Uh, with inclusion, guess who is excluded? Yeah. If you're sitting at this table right now, uh, Mexican-American, Vietnamese-American, uh, two white uh, guys of Western cultures, you're not included in this group. And to me, inclusion is a, what I call a linguistic uh, word trap. Anything that is considered uncomfortable to this self-accredited, self-minoritized group consists of what we talk about is called the infinite slights, that they can never, you can never run out of their bucket of infinite slights, and that those slights can only be controlled by speech codes and those speech codes require thought police that are the judge and the jury, and they look a hell of a lot like some of these candidates that are suggesting youth courts or our SARC kids. Can you imagine SARC being on this uh, jury of thought police that uh, enforce these uh, word codes? So it results in an oversensitized language with what I call the ever-expanding and movable rules where people in the wrong lane are afraid to speak. As the people at this table, we've seen this at the school board meetings where we get harassed and called racist just for speaking and expressing our First Amendment rights. Um, to me, this is called totalitarianism. It's where your thoughts are controlled, which results in controlled speech, which results in what the Chinese call social scores, but we implicitly have them on Facebook and all the other social media. How many people will not post now on social media because they're afraid of the blowback from these thought police. One, all your bro. Yeah, if, if you won't speak out, if you're afraid, for whatever reason, if you're afraid to speak out, think about it. If you cannot express yourself, then for all intents and purposes, you are not a human. Um, the, the fear that I see out there um, of persecution from the woke mob, and I'll tell you, they say they're the majority, they're not. They are certainly a minority. They're just very vocal and very loud. And we see this in corporate America too, right? They're, they, they bow down, they bow the knee to the woke mob, the, the woke Twitter mob, that doesn't actually exist. 
It's a, it's a farce. Um, and to me, bound, bending the knee to them is the height of effeminacy. And when I say effeminacy, I'm not bashing on the feminine aspects of human nature. Effeminacy, especially in men, is an unwillingness to suffer. It's an unwillingness to suffer the consequences of doing right. But guess what? We believe that you were created in the image and likeness of God. And especially if you're a man, your vocation, your entire existence is based around the idea that you are supposed to be the one who stands up and protects other people who can't protect themselves. And if that means that I've got a couple of teenagers that self-identify as, you know, whatever, but really they're just knuckleheads in disguise who want to send hate mail to me over the internet, what the hell do I care? I don't care. Uh, this is really interesting because there was a scholastic news article uh, that my daughter brought home. That my daughter's 10. She brought this home, I want to say it was September. It was around the time of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, which is, you know, all fine and dandy. I'm not generally for those kinds of celebrations, but whatever. Um, and there was a story in there about Mexican immigrants in California who were not permitted to go to school in the 1940s because there was segregation. And it wasn't just in California. I mean, I hear these stories from my parents, too. Um, but they went to court and they won the right to go to school with the white children and go to the white school because they knew the white school was better. And I want to say it was around 1947. And so the girl goes to school and she encounters a boy who says, ooh, we have Mexicans here. And she cries and she goes home and she tells her mom, I don't want to go back to school. And her mom said something very wise. She said, don't forget what we're fighting for. In other words, it doesn't matter if they call you names. We don't care. That person has absolutely zero power to hold you down other than with the power you give them in your own mind. We've won the fight in the court. That's what this is about. So take the victory and exploit it and exploit it to the extent that you can be an equal member of society, equal before the law, equal opportunity. That, that's where we need to, that's what we need to reinforce with these kids. So I think that you swung a really big hammer with this conversation and, and that hammer looks like the following. A lot of these people that come before the school board, particularly the children, I'm gonna call them that because that's what they are. They talk about their grievances. They talk about their slights. They talk about being called fat. They get, get you know, all kinds of different names. Who at this table has not been called something? I get called bald. I mean, I've got a local troll that calls me the, the bald old man on my blog post all the time. And, and of course he never wants to show who his real face is. I know who he is, he was close to me. But the reality of it is, I think we've become oversensitized with words that we've told our children, we've not given them the, the tools to be able to handle language, to let it roll over your, roll off your back. And uh, I was told a long time ago, I don't know who told me this, but I love the saying, it said, never let somebody have space in your room to rent a portion of your brain, to sit up there and occupy your brain and pull on your brain cords. I thought that that was so spot on. You, you, you guys are. Yeah, I got to I'm doing audio as an individual here. Go ahead. So, so you, you, you guys are in exactly the right spot. And so, I think it's hard to talk about inclusivity without talking about safety, right? And so, again, this is the left takes a word and makes it mean exactly the opposite of what it's, it's always meant. And that's why it's so important when you have a conversation with these, these people and why CCAP, and somebody said it Monday, CCAP should absolutely define these terms, just like a legal contract has defined terms, CCAP should, and these should be defined terms. But if you recall, 
and this happened at Evergreen College as well, the kids are telling administration, it's your job to protect us. It's your job to make this a safe environment. And when we hear that, we think physical safety, right? Because that's the way we think of the term, right? That's not what they mean. What they mean is mental safety, right? This has to be a safe environment. And so when they say inclusivity, what they're saying is that it's an environment where no one's ever going to say anything that's going to make you have any, or it's going to create any mental discomfort for you. And so what that does is it lowers the level of discourse to that of the thinnest skinned, most coddled mind, right? And so what does that do to our society long-term? What does that do to freedom of speech, right? People begin to self-censor because you have no idea what is going to offend someone else. And, and that, that's, so you're at the core of the problem of inclusivity. So in, in reality, and well, I'll just come out and say it, right? Inclusivity is the exact opposite, right? Because to, to create the inclusive environment they're talking about, you have to exclude people. Go, go ahead, Juan. No, I, absolutely. Look, words are not violence. Absolutely. They are not violence. And in order to protect that concept, I am willing to do violence because that is the only thing that separates us from the animals, okay? Now, I'm not saying, I want to clarify something. I'm not saying that it's okay to be unkind. And we do need to teach our children how to be kind to others. But that comes from recognizing the shared values of our humanity, okay? It doesn't come from uh, kowtowing to liberal progressive orthodoxy. And I hate to say liberal because they're not liberal, they're illiberal. They're leftists. But, but consider this, it, there's, there's, a, uh, there's an inoculation that happens when you're exposed to ideas that are not the ideas that you agree with, right? We're denying that to these kids. They're gonna grow up and they're not gonna have the ability to converse and enter into dialogue and argumentation. And when I say argument, I don't mean fighting, I mean argumentation, making an argument, a logical argument, and coming to a conclusion and developing courses of action where you can solve issues with other people who are not like you, that everyone can live with. Yeah. That's what we're denying these kids. So, right, go, go ahead, Nathan. You're gonna say something. So basically, this whole thing started with CCAT, right? So CCAT is what? It began with a video. So this video is what? Supposedly is racism against a particular group, which is blacks, not Hispanic, not Asian, or not, you know, any other group. It's right. basically racism uh, against blacks. So they came up with CCAP as a silver bullet to solve Trojan Wars, everything. Mm -hmm. Now that's a false narrative yeah. right there. Let, let me just interject here for a minute. I, I find this somewhat hum humorous. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to turn the volume up as best I can and see if we can hear this. Told the people that I felt the microaggression, 
from what they were saying to me. Did you hear what that white young girl said to me? No, it's not your wife. She goes, it can't be a microaggression because you're white. Now think about that, wrap your brain around it. I can't be microaggressed because I'm not part of this special crowd, this minoritized group that she gets to decide who's in that group. Well, that's back to cultural market, Marxism, right? Oppressed versus, uh, oppressed versus oppressor. And that's, and that's codified in the CCAP, right? right? I mean, the, the, the language on the very first page says a microaggression is targets a person solely based on their marginalized or underrepresented group membership, right? And, and th this is at the heart of cultural Marxism, right. right? Meaning based on these immutable traits that you have, you're considered an oppressed or an oppressor. There, but there's one other point that I wanted to make that, that I just, uh, it, it, it really grabbed me in all this. They were saying, let's think about the words one. Hey, hey, ho, ho, racist, parents have to go. Now, I can only imagine, if I roll back the time when I was in high school, my parents caught me standing um, and, and harassing parents as they exited out of school board meeting. I see this as a huge failure of parents that let their kids grow up like this, because this is a reflection of the apple not falling far, far from the tree. But the other thing is, think about it. They called me a racist. They don't know me. They don't know my history. They don't know Juan's history. You were called a white racist. They don't know anything at all about us, but because of where they think that they sit in the superior hierarchy of this whole evolution, they think that they can call us racist. White people, you gotta go? Now, what does that mean? You tell me, is that an implication of violence to say you gotta go? Where the hell am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to go? The tax base to the city, what do they want to replace with? Well, how, note the fact that most of those kids themselves were white. So in the act of doing this, they were bending the knee to this cultural Marxism. But I, I would say, I push back, I, I say, there is no such thing as a microaggression. It's all a farce. Read the definition in the CCAP, I don't have it in front of me, but what I recall is that it's intentional or unintentional, verbal or nonverbal. What the hell? In the mind of the beholder, okay? I reject that. What these kids were doing, and in fact, a couple of adults out there, by touching you, they weren't committing a microaggression, they were committing an actual aggression, okay? Um, I went to a course uh, some years back. It was, it was uh, held by the Center for Creative Leadership, and they taught us a construct, which was a construct. It wasn't something new. It was just a framework that uh, we had used over and over and over again in my life as a, as a military officer. And it was uh, SBI, Situation Behavior Impact. And this is just a means to communicate from one human being to another. Situation, we were, we were at such and such location at such and such time, date time group. Behavior, you did, you said, whatever it was. Impact, how it made me feel, or what it made me do, right? Not that words can make you do something. That is the way we need to be teaching these kids to communicate with each other. And they were demonstrating the exact opposite of that and a complete lack of cultural competence by doing what they did. Now, if I did what they did, I would have been subject to corporal punishment in the following manner. I would have been taken home. My mom would have beat my butt with the belt. My dad would have beat my butt with the belt. Then I would have gone to school and I would have been uh, subject to corporal punishment there by the principal, who my parents knew. And that's something I think is lacking in our community yeah, now. But the school allowed this to go And on. then I would have went back home and got corporal punishment again. Yeah. 
And the end result would have been, hey, learn, respect your elders, talk but, to people like human But isn't that beings. a Marxist philosophy of not respecting your elders by cleaving, by removing the child from the parent? Of course. And letting the government become the new parent, the new God. I mean, isn't that really what we're looking at here, guys? It is. The party is God. The party is God. So uh, we're at 45 minutes. We haven't got to equity yet. <laughs> well, can but, I go back to what we have? No, we just don't you can't. Think about it. Yeah. No, we got to keep going <laughs> because he's got a he turns to a pumpkin in one hour. All right. All right. Equity. So we're going to talk about that. I consider equity just another one of these words that's dystopian. Double speak. It sounds a lot like equality uh, of outcome, but. It's really not equality of uh, outcome. You mean it's, it sounds like equality of opportunity. Wrong. Equality of opportunity, but yes. It's, it's equality of outcome. That's so right. it's equality of outcome. Right. And that's what we're looking at. And it, it, equity forces outcomes. And in our society, that is never going to be a good thing. I mean, uh, I don't know if you want your surgeon being <laughs> the result, your brain surgeon that's operating on your uh, tumor in your head you know, having that job just because he was part of some marginalized group, he got to jump to the head of class or she, whatever. And I, I, I so I think the whole equality of uh, outcome is highly problematic. Uh, you know, in the, cl in the classic sense, equality in the West has a meaning to most of us sitting here. And it usually relates to law and order. Um, and it, it equates to opportunity, um, equality before the law. But um, I think it ultimately what it results in is a loss of freedom, a loss of uh, free speech. Uh, it's the loss of object objective reasoning, as uh, Juan and I've talked about in depth. And once you have the, the end of objective reasoning, you have the end of truth. Juan, you're up. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. Oh. <laughs> I was lost in thought. So, no, equity is the Trojan horse par excellence. Okay? It absolutely is. Um, I think it's, this always makes me think of HR. It makes me think back to uh, Duke's, Duke versus, or is it Griggs versus Duke Power, 1971, uh, where the Supreme Court redefined uh, what the, uh, the the concept of what's in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, 1964. Again, I'm going off memory here. Uh, they basically changed what was considered. You can't, you know, the law. You can't have uh, inequality of treatment of your employees and said, no, if there's inequality of outcome, then there must be uh, some underlying uh, discrimination going on, right? So for us, when we, when we see, we're not saying there's no inequities. Of course there's inequities. The, the history of this country is full of inequities. But that's, those are the times that we did not rise to the occasion to our ideals. You don't throw out the ideals because we failed to rise to the occasion. You say, how do we fix this and make sure that we are achieving the ideals? Okay, so when a uh, when a person of color feels disrespected, it's natural for them to feel like they're being disrespected because of their color. I understand that. And that may be the case. But at the same time, that person has no rational basis to assume that and then uh, act like that's a fact. That's why there has to be uh, investigation when incidents happen. Right. Because. That's, this is part of why I reject the entire microaggression framework, because you don't know what's in the mind and heart of the other person. Maybe somebody's you know, pissed off at you because they didn't like what you said and they have a different idea and it has absolutely nothing to do with what you look like. But, you know, 
we need to get back to this idea that people needed to be treated equally. And yes, some people need more help than others. But those decisions need to be made based on uh, the needs of the individual. And those needs are not tied to immutable physical characteristics. So um, I, to me, this gets this comes down to the individual versus collectivism, right? And so my kids, is, and this is true of all of us, right? God gave every one of us our, our individual gifts, whatever those are. And, and it's our job to find those and use those to the best of our abilities, right? In, in, a, in an equity world, what they're, what they're saying is, no, let's ignore the fact that we are individuals and assume that we're all born and have the exact same gifts. And therefore, the outcomes, if they're not the same, then it must be something else within the system or within society that explains the difference. You know, just a simple example, right? So I, I have two kids. One of them is just a phenomenally gifted singer. She got the gift of music, right? And she, you know, she does very well. She's, she, she's in choir and all these other things. How, how are you going to apply equity to someone like that. And, and, and that's just one example, right? So she's not as good at math, but other kids have the gift of, of math and logic, right? And so how, how are you gonna create equal outcomes there, right? How, how, could, how is that even possible? And that's just one example. What about sports? What if, the point is we all have, every one of us have individual strengths. Our job is to have the equality of opportunity to figure out what they are. And then how do we use those to our be the best of our abilities? But assuming that the outcomes are different because one kid can sing and one can't, therefore there must be bias or there must be racism, that's insanity. It makes no sense. It's illogical. So when we talk about equity, look, the 1960, the civil rights movement was about equality. Are we going back to separate but equal? That's what equity is about. Think about it. Is it separate and equal? When I see equity in the NFL or the NBA, where there's more Asian playing, you know, in the sports, that's equity. Do I see that now? Uh, no. In this certain industry, if you know what I'm talking about, there's no Asian. Stop, stop. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Well, look. I, I mean, I gotta. I'm. I'm like a. Uh, yeah. No, I, I gotta get you. Say. I get you tuned up. If you're gonna. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Your, your equipment's uh, yeah. baffling to me. Uh, Makes two of no, us. The, the whole equity business, right? They want, uh, and, this is, and they say this, right? If you listen to what they say, the, the standard, the gold standard for them is equity for everyone. Okay, that's a, I guess that's a noble goal, but here's the problem. Show me the society in human history where that has ever been achieved. I dare you. Yeah. You can't find it. I don't care how far back you go. You can't find it. There's always been inequity and there's always going to be inequity um, because inequities are caused. They're a multifactorial problem. They're caused by multiple factors. So when you see inequity, the proper response is to say, why? And investigate. Oh, there's that word again. Investigate. You can't just make the illogical jump and say, oh, it's based on bigotry. It's uh, based on racism or transphobia, or homophobia, or Islamophobia, or whatever phobia or ism that you, you know, happen to have as your shiny object for the day. It's completely illogical. It won't solve the problem. The only way 
that we're ever going to have equity if we go down this CCAP path and what follows after it is everybody will be equally miserable. We don't want that. And underperforming. And yeah. underperforming, right? So if, if you look at the, you know, the cartoons, you've seen them, the two people picking apples right. from a tree, one short, one's tall, and they both have the same size ladder, right? And it, yeah, th that's not what they really mean, right? That, that, that's a false argument. What, what they're showing is an accommodation, right? And, and schools have provided accommodations for kids for years that have different skills, different, think about somebody that, that can't see as well, right? You move them to the front of the class. That's right. not new, that's an accommodation. Right. We should absolutely, our school should absolutely be providing accommodations for kids. Yeah, so this, this notion of, of a quality of outcome, it, what it really is gonna do is it's gonna, the only way you can do that is lower the standard for, for everyone, right? right. So instead of, in, instead of having some kids that do really well in math and some kids that don't do as well, how are you gonna bring them all together? Do you, are you really gonna bring all the kids at the bottom up who don't have that gift? No, you're gonna have to bring them down, and that's, that's the problem. Right, well, and that's, that's where you can that's, see the dis, dis, disappearance <laughs> yeah. of programs such as... Uh, Gifted. Of gifted and talented, of uh, Carroll Medical Program, because at some point, uh, the folks that are in this uh, permanent uh, lane of minoritized groups, what's going to happen with them is they're going to say, "Well, that's not fair. It's not fair that you had this class with these extraordinary kids." Which, by the way, the vast majority of them are Asian. Just saying, <laughs> and and and. But let me let me wrap up the whole idea of equity, unless somebody has something they want to jump into it. I would say that equity by any other name is just wholesale discrimination. And I think that we actually ought to change the name, the acronym from DIE, D-I-E, to D-E-X. Anybody want to guess what that stands for? I can't even guess. Huh? Yeah, diversity, <laughs> you be quiet. <laughs> when I give him open forum, man, it could go anywhere real quick. <laughs> diversity, equity, and exclusion. And in oh. particular, if uh, you're white, you're Western, you're from the white Western culture, you're Christian, you're straight. In particular, uh, what we find in higher education are the Asians that are being kept out of Harvard and Yale and uh, all those blue bud schools that I'm glad my kids aren't going to. So anybody have anything they want to conclude? Yeah, well, my, my, my final comment on this would be the, 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 the left is very crafty in taking words that have meant something for a long time right. and, then, and then changing the meaning of them and then selling it to people based on the old meaning. And so I think here locally what we have to do, and somebody said it on Monday, and I said it a few minutes ago, is we have to demand that the school board defines these terms. We want very Never. specific definitions of what you mean when you say diversity, equity, inclusion. If, if you could, I, I've had yeah. uh, extensive debates yeah. with Rennell Smith, who was yeah. put on District Diversity Council, yeah. and he believes there should be a word list. And I go, really, what word should be on it? And of course, he can never give them to me, but he's all for that. And and actually, no, no, no. That's I'm not suggesting a word list. I'm I'm saying if you're going to include a word in a plan like diversity, and it has a a a new meaning, then you need to define it in the same way in CCAP that they've de defined microaggressions on the front page. They went through and defined every acronym. I don't remember where it's at, but every acronym they defined, but they don't they don't define these big terms like diversity, equity, inclusion, because they don't they don't do it deliberately because they know people yeah. hear the word equity and they think equality. They right. they hear the word diversity and they think they think diversity that we've always talked about diversity, and and that's not what they mean. We have to f 
we have to force a definition of these things. I do not believe we need a word, a banned word list. That's not what I'm well, suggesting. No, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Some yeah. of the people that are on the DDC district diversity council have talked about it. I've even, some of the guys, I'm not going to mention his name. He's a good friend of mine. He's actually, <laughs> excuse me. He's shown support for a word list and it, it doesn't take very long to get down to the what ifs on that. And what if, you know, uh, the N word obviously is probably one that we can all agree on. And yet what happens if the black football team decides to use the N word? Well, he herein lies the problem. And, and that was in, you know, one of the audio clips that we talked about where, uh, one of the school board candidates was suggesting that some people should be able to use these words and other people can't. And th this one, this is when you get into, rules that apply this, this, again it's you're, you're back to you're back to social marxism right, right. okay so we, we're going to have to get going to the next portion of the show unless Juan or cato had something else well no the the the, the equity thing is absolute poison um my, my thoughts on that are that the, the people that are propagating this I, I call them the they're the the priests the clerics of the die religion they absolutely want to kill meritocracy they want to kill American exceptionalism. And when I talk about American exceptionalism, I'm not talking about, we're so great, we're Americans. I'm talking about the principles that America was built on. Freedom, right? Liberty. Uh, and I, I got news for you. You know, going down this path where uh, you're subject to a regime of microaggressions that have consequences tied to them, this is, this is like their sacrament. The difference is there's absolutely no redemption. When you bend the knee to these folks, you're not going to get to go to atheist heaven. There is no such thing. So yeah. I reject the entire plan. I used to think we could work with them. Uh, no, they've shown their true colors. This whole thing needs to be trashed. Yeah. So we got to move on to the next part. Um, and the next part, second segment of the show, is, is basically about uh, the, what I think is one of the most apocryphal, one of the most impactful uh, elections that's ever going to happen in our community. And I think it's really, really important that through transparency, we talk about some very difficult things here over the next 30 minutes and, and information that we've come up with, uh, things. I think the thing that concerns me most is uh, a lot of these school boards and city council and different you know, appointments by you know, mayors and, and council, they, they tend to be like garden club type things. They're more social club. They don't really, their decisions are not going to have major impacts on national NBC News. Lester Holt's not going to come into town and talk about uh, CEF. They're just not going to do it. But they are going to talk about this, and this is a major impact. And it becomes important who we vote for, and are we adequately and properly vetting these guys? Do we really know what they stand for? Are they liberal? Are they conservative? Is this an agnostic election? Because what are we always told? Well, it doesn't really matter your political affiliation uh, in this particular election. You know what? In this one, it actually does matter because we already know that leftist organizations, George Soros, Act Blue, uh, the DNC, they've already recognized that Tarrant County, they've got to take the red out of Tarrant County because we're one of the most popular, uh, few remaining conservative counties in Texas. And they also know that they have to take over schools and they have to take over cities. And how do they do that? They do that through elections at school board and they do that at city council elections. So, so nobody should kid themselves. Um, you know, just because your candidate has got 
you know, 10 years working for the Garden Club and doing a lot of vol time, you need to know what's in their heart. Do we want another Sherry Mills? Do we want another Michelle Moore? I mean, do we want a third person? I mean, because the reality of it is we're teetering on the balance. If, if conservatives do not get both of those seats, then this school board can go in a very bad direction very quickly. And people move to South Lake. Nobody needs to kid themselves. And I don't care if you're moving here from Asia, from California, from New York. You're moving here because you want to be part of the Dragon experience and you want your kids to be a success and you want your kids to do the best that they're capable of doing. And Hannah Smith brought that up last night when she said that our kids test the best and, and she could find no differentiation between how black kids test, how Asian kids test, and whites. There, there, there is no groupings. There's no bell curve. I mean, you talk about equity and equality. There it is right there. Look at our test scores. 98% of our kids are going to college for crying out loud. How in any universe can that be considered a systemic flaw in the society? Juan, keep me going here before I have to go take my high blood pressure. Medicine. No, well, I... You know, when, uh, when, when Robert was talking, I, I, I said, here's the kicker, and I highlighted for him in his CCAP, that page three, exactly what you just said. There is no statistical difference in the test scores among the subgroups uh, demographically in our school system, which tells me that the teachers, by and large, are doing their job, and great for them, and thank God, and we need to keep that up. That's the pr tradition that we need to protect. I'm wearing the Protect, protect the Tradition t-shirt here. That's what it's all about. We want high performance in our schools, and we want to keep that. What we don't want is we don't want school board members who think that this is some kind of country club or they think it's their turn because they did all this volunteer work. And great. I'm glad they did that volunteer. We need people like that. But it's not, uh, it's, it's not something that's given to you uh, for, for good behavior. That's not what this is about. This is about the curriculum. This is about how we teach our kids and what we teach our kids. And I also reject the idea that uh, we should just outsource all of this to uh, administrators, people with PhDs and EDDs. Let me tell you something about people with PhDs. Okay, I have two master's degrees. I don't have a PhD. I've had some PhDs work for me over the years. Some of them were even pretty good. But here's the thing about expertise. Expertise means that you have a very, very deep knowledge in a very specific field. But when it comes to public policy, you have to recognize that you're looking through a soda straw, okay? And you have to bring that expertise to the table, and we need that. But there's other experts out there, and there has to be leadership involved that knows how to uh, put all these things together to come up with the best options for our children because nobody has a, a monopoly on expertise and understands how to do everything. And, you know, I've said this before, right? I came from a tradition where I've been a military officer for 28 years. I know about war. I don't know everything about war. I know a lot about it. I know a lot about very, very specific subjects. And if, there, if it's been said, you know, if war is, is too far too important to be left to military men, then I say education is even more important. And it's far too important to be left to administrators and bureaucrats, right? The school board represents the students and the parents, and making sure that the parent's interest, because the parent, nobody has a greater interest in the development of a student than a parent. Let me just listen right quick. I want to thank everybody for listening to Wise Guy Talks, episode number 32. Um, reach out to somebody, tell them that we're doing this live on Facebook right now. We'd appreciate that. I do apologize. I did this in the beginning. This is more for the people that have joined us. Uh, 
we couldn't get the framing right on this camera, so that's why only the best two-looking guys that are here today are able to be seen by you guys. Um, I'll appreciate any comments at the bottom. Send you a million bucks. But, uh, Robert? You know, you know I, I think about this in really simplistic terms, right? And, and that's in, in terms of resources, right? Our schools have limited resources. There's limited time from a teacher's perspective. There's limited dollars. And, and how we spend those resources to create great outcomes is incredibly important. And when you start talking about taking our resources and it pointing them at, at solving problems with methods that won't actually solve the problem, that's a waste of resources. And so when you, when you have a school district that performs as well as ours and we're gonna distract our teachers and we're gonna take resources and we're gonna point them at diversity, equity, and inclusion training, I think we're gonna have worse outcomes. So I, that's the way I think about it. I just want to let you guys know that there's a blowback against CCAP and equity and all this inclusion. So they're moving away from CCAP. Notice the latest uh, debate or the forum that they're not talking about CCAP anymore. They're dropping equity. But they can't drop it. They can't drop it. Even They drop it by saying that they're not yeah. for it. But you know that just, that's just deception. What is the purpose of diversity and inclusion? It's equity. Equity is the hinge that all this uh, rotates on. So you take for, that out, the whole thing collapses. So for, for voters out there, pay attention to this. When they drop it, they're not for CCAP, but are they really not for CCAP? Or do they have anything worse than that? More radical? Well, Ed Hernandez talked about his plan, which is what? Yeah, it's it's diversity um, and no, he, uh, it's, it's justice. It's uh, restorative, restorative justice. Yeah. justice. Diversity right. and inclusion. He dropped equity yeah. out of the discussion. And, and let me say this about Ed, by the way. He came up to me last night because I ran the camera for the Republican guys and I did their video for him. Really personal. And I want to say this about actually all of the candidates. All of them I personally like and I love nothing more than all four of those guys sitting down here having a martini in front of me and enjoying life, and uh, if they smoke cigars, would do that too, you know, but that's not what we're talking about here, and I want people to really make that bifurcation in the, in the discussion here. Ed is a wonderful guy. He, we talked, he's going to do a podcast with me, and he was all for it, and we're going to get to talk about some of his ideas of synchrony and, and um, synergistics. Sorry, yeah. that's a big corporate world. Yeah, I remember. I always think of this when I think of synergistics, <laughs> so, but you know, we are not trying to demonize any of these candidates. We're trying to show what we believe that they stand for. And I think that that is kind of where we're going to be going with this discussion. Did I have enormous amount of respect for Ed because yeah. Ed has, has put his positions up for everyone to read. I, I don't. Good point. I, I don't, I don't personally agree with those positions. But I would, I absolutely have respect for him to say this is what, and I believe he's but coming at it from an honest place, and that's absolutely. what I like from yeah, him. I do too. I, I get, I, I get that too. he's a fully transparent guy. Well, we, I mean, I can respect the guy, but I yeah. don't respect his position. But that's, I, but yeah. that's the bifurcation. I think, that yeah. I think they're completely wrong. I, I agree with you. I think they're wrong too. But I, I do give him credit for at least putting it on the table. Sure. Yeah. Look, you're running for office. I respect, like, like I said, a person that is going to come out and tell me what you believe in. Yes. I don't respect a person that is going to hide and say, I'm for this, and the next day, I'm for that. Well, and if I run into you, I'm going to tell you I'm for CCAP, and the next day, I run into another person. 
I'm going to say, I'm not for CCAT. Okay, now, that's uh, being dishonest. Hasn't he also done that to some extent by, say, by stopping using the word equity? I mean, I, I think I read a post from him a couple of days ago, or it was shared, where he talked about diversity and inclusion. But you had to scroll down and read through the body of the message, and in there, you found the word equity. So it's not totally gone, right? Yeah, it's the, camouflaged. So, so I, I I agree with that, right? It, which is I think I think a lot of it is, I think people are reading different information, and and I think you and I have a similar view of of cultural Marxism, the basis of CCAP, and we see a lot of that same language in some of these plans. And so while the, for us it it it. it it feels like a disconnect that they're saying I'm, I'm opposed to this, but then they have elements of that in their own plans. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, again, I, I ran video last night for, uh, for Al and Fred. It was great. And, and I, again, I got to throw those guys kudos because they, they did just about as nearly as a raw debate as I've seen. They asked very apocryphal, uh, penetrating questions of these candidates and um, it left us with a lot better feel for, for where the candidates are coming from. I'm going to play this little snippet right here. This was about 15 minutes into the interview, and I'll set it up. Basically, Fred had asked, um, what do they identify with? What political party do they identify with? And, uh, and I'll toss this one up, and then we can talk about it. So the first question that I would have, unless you start with Lyndon, we'll do the same thing with the microphones, just work you know, down and back. How would you describe your political philosophy? I, was, I would describe us as moderate, generally voting more Republican. Um, we're very fiscally responsible, and that tends to be one of the number one reasons as to why we vote. And in comparison, this is Cam's answer. Thanks, Brad. I'm very fiscally conservative. Yep. Okay, that was so, Linda first, right? Yeah, that was Linda okay. first, and then it was followed by Cam. So, you know, it, it's no secret. I mean, you can find a lot of this on the, on the internet, uh, particularly on Facebook, uh, voting records where people don't donate money, and and so kind of what Linda was saying was true because prior to 2016, she does have a record of voting Republican. I mean, that's just a fact. But if you snap forward to the last four years. What you see is that she voted for Beto, uh, or at least she gave money to Beto, contributed right. money to Beto, and uh, Joe Biden, and Act Blue, which we know is a big fundraiser for BLM. So I just kind of toss this one up, guys, and get some opinions on it. Well, I mean, Linda's now saying that she's not for CCAP, but I remember seeing video of her talking to the school board. We'll get to, we'll get to that one. So okay. Let's, let's just All right. Stay go on go ahead. Go ahead. So, so I, I, I respect Ed, like I said, because Ed puts his position clearly out there. I don't, I don't agree with this position, but I absolutely respect that. I struggle when I don't feel like I'm getting a straight position from a candidate. And the question in my mind is always, is this, is this your authentic self? And if it's not, when, when does that start? Does that start when you win the election? Are you then going to begin being authentic? So my concern is deception and and if you start a can if you start a, a 
uh, candidacy with deception, when does the deception stop? And that's the way it feels to me. Yeah, Well, you know American voters, they are sick of, I call them the chameleon politicians. You know, we're sick of that. I, if, you, if I'm going to vote for you, please just tell me honest. Tell me what you stand for. Why, we, why should you have to lie? Well, do you have any questions in your mind where Hannah or Cam stands? I have no doubt that Hannah How do is, you know that? Because How I, do you know that they won't change the next day? Look at their voting records. Look at their voting records. They would come out and say, no, I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. They're not going to hide. And look at their voting records. Yeah. So Cam is the, the same same way. Well, Ed, I think he's strong. I mean, he's not afraid of saying that he's a Democrat. Right. I respect. Well, him he for that. actually yeah. called himself a Democrat last night. He called himself, uh, I think, open-minded, or he didn't well, uh, declare it, himself to the. But if at you go least, back and listen, it, you at can least hear on him. his website, yeah. he's clear on where he stands. All right. All right. Did, yeah, did you have I, a finish? Yeah, finish up yeah on I want to. I want to take this point about the authentic self. I think there there is deception going on. There's always deception in life. But people cannot hide who they truly are. You see in their actions in the heat of the moment. And so on that particular candidate, and I'm talking about Linda, I go back to that Facebook post, the stay the F home. Uh, and actually, that, that she, belies, didn't, she didn't say that. She said, um, and if people have sensitive ears, you can just go ahead and put your fingers in your ears right there now. There it is. But she said, stay the fuck home. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't want to say the F word, but... Well, I'm uh, quoting. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Good enough. So, but, uh, but here's my point. This particular post that shows somebody's political philosophy more clearly than any speeches that one might give. This is somebody that believes in rule by the experts. Okay. I'm angry because some of you don't trust what's being told by the Dr. Fauci's of the world or whatever. Um, and I don't agree with, the conclusions that you're coming to, but you know what? I don't have enough respect for you to talk to you about it in depth and understand why you feel the way you do or why you think the way you do. I'm just going to post a hashtag that tells you stay the F home. So what's this person going to do on the school board when the administration who is also chock full of progressives with progressive ideas wants to change the curriculum to import some of these DEI uh, initiatives? Is this person going to stand up and say, let me call you on the carpet and have you explain to me exactly why we're doing this and what are we going to get out of it? What's the cost-benefit analysis here? Or is this person going to say, rubber stamp, you're an expert. I trust you. I believe yeah. you. So and what do you do when, that, when experts disagree with each other? So we'll move on to some more audio here. And this is, you know, whether or not a candidate, uh, who do they align themselves with? Do they align themselves with Sark? Do they align themselves with the leftists on the school board? Do they allow themselves with the CCAP ideology? And let's just see if this gives us a little bit of... The next speaker is Linda Warner. Ms. Warner. Hello. Hello. Um, I've been standing here trying to figure out what I want to say, what could be different to add to this. And my experience has been, as a biracial family, that there are two types of racism that happens in our society. One is the one you can quickly identify with, the people who say the N-word, the, all the different words. And then there's the other kind, which is in some ways to me worse. And those are the people who do nothing, who just sit by and watch. I have seen so many people make comments to me because they don't know who my husband is. 
And it's those little comments where they're testing you out to see if you feel the same way. And that's an issue. Those are the worst kind. I thought I would end by reading something from somebody we really haven't heard from, and that's South Lake Carroll students. And um, this is a post that both of my daughters wrote. In light of recent events, we've seen a lot of comments circling around regarding the way that racial slurs are talked about and where problems come from. Hearing that the use of a derogatory language is a South Lake problem only minimizes a major issue. The problem obviously exists in South Lake and has a lot to do with entitlement, but it is by no means isolated within our community. The so she goes on talking about that. And I, I just want to kind of unpack that a little bit. I, it's kind of a little uncomfortable to hear, but uh, I have met uh, Linda and her husband, who are exceptional people. I just can't say that enough. I like them on a personal level. Her husband is crazy smart. I mean, uh, he would fit right in here having some of the philosophical discussions that we like to have here, you know. But I think where she's going there is she's branding the entire community uh, racist, and I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that. And, and she kind of appeals to that whole idea that, that words are to be received like swords, the tip of a, a, a spear or a, the blade of a sword or the bullet of a gun. And she's trying to, in my opinion, she's trying to um, set up this whole idea of thought police, word police. And so that was 2018, correct? Yes, that was 2018. So, so what I, I heard, what I heard was, and that's pretty early, right, for, for a lot of us. But what I heard was, there are two kinds of people, right? That you're, you're implicit. Either, you're either a racist or you're an anti-racist. No, no, no. You're you're either a quiet white racist or a loud racist. Well, she's saying that for someone to say the N word is one type of racist, the other type is more dangerous. According to her, is the silent one. Right. That's the what one I'm that saying. you can't read. There's the, the loud racist but and I the quiet racist. I think that's the point he's making. That's is the point. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. That's the exact point I'm making, which is if you're not an anti-racist, you are right. a racist. Oh, I see right. what you're saying. Right. That that and so. We, and again, we weren't thinking in those terms in 2018, but we are today. And so clearly she was reading Robin DiAngelo. She was reading yeah. right some some of this this stuff. Yeah, the anti-racist book. White right. Fragility right. was the name of it. Right. And, and I would say, you know what? I would be an anti-racist if the anti-racists weren't themselves racist in the way they approach the problem um, by stifling speech. So she's making the core assumption there. That if you're not standing up with Sark or whoever and screaming Black Lives Matter or whatever the shibboleth of the day is, that somehow... The what? The what? The shibboleth. That somehow you approve of uh, racist sentiments, right? So she's going into your heart and telling you what you think and how you feel based on nothing other than her own perception. Now, again, I go back to if somebody feels disrespected and there's a history of inequity, then that's understandable. But again, we have to investigate. We have to understand why. It's a multifactorial problem. You can't just jump to the bottom of the barrel and say it's bigotry. Um, yeah. but, but here's another point, right? If somebody is espousing racist ideas or there's a racist group like the KKK, I want to engage them in debate. I want to pull them out, expose them for what they are, and show the world how terrible their idea is by undermining their idea, by showing the illogic of it. You don't do that by suppressing it. Yeah. When you suppress it, it lives on like a cancer. 
And any candidate that wants to come on and talk about any of these items, you are welcome. Just message me, and you'll be here two days later, unless I'm working. Uh, <coughs> one of the points that I wanted to make on that is, and I'm going to ask you three guys this question. If somebody, um, I'm, I'm a little more comfortable using this word, but if, if, if I say the word gook to you, do you think that I'm a racist because I use that word? It depends on how you say it. It depends on how I say it. Okay. If I say the N-word, if I just say it, that, and I describe that person with the N-word, or is, is, does that show the, the, the content of my character and my heart? I mean, does that show what's in my heart, that I think that that person is less than me? It's a matter of sensitivity. I don't care about sensitivity. Yeah, you should play the last uh, 40 seconds of that because she she addresses exactly where you're going. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Continue. I'll pull it up. Well, I'm not sensitive. If you're my friend, if I, you call me the 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 gook or whatever or anything related to Asian, I'm not sensitive to, to it. And you know I'm not sensitive to it. I don't care. I mean, I'll ca I call you a redneck all the time. Are you sensitive to that? Hold on. Uh, turn the camera off while I go there and kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I don't particularly like Identify with. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You do not own the word. It's in every song where you feel that you have the right to sing the language that was used to oppress people for hundreds of years and causes irreversible trauma to this day. We feel no sympathy for the people who are met with consequences for their actions in cases like these. Saying or singing racial slurs for races that you do not identify with is a huge problem. Two, do better. If this upsets you in any way, we highly encourage you to think about why that is. Also, you should vote. So, so if you're going... If you're, you're, if you're my 19-year-old daughter and you're cruising along in your RAV4 and one of these hip-hop songs come on and they start using the N-word, what she's saying is you actually have to self-delete as you're going along. you you got to actually go ahead and bleep yourself as you're singing to that song. Based on your race. Ba of course, based right. on your race. Right. So Exactly. But, but here's the slippery slope, right? So what percentage of a given race do I have to be to, to get the card to be able to do that? <laughs> Well, let's not complicate things but, too much. But, but you understand what I'm saying, right? So, right. This, this so when do you get the qualification to use the N-words, basically it, what you're that's saying? That's exactly what is I'm it, saying. Is it based on Melanin? I mean, I, how, I how about Tiger Woods? Uh, I, I don't can know. he use the N-word? I, I don't know, but this is the complication of it, right? It, it makes no sense. But isn't it more what you mean in your heart? If you're using that word in com combination with the actions and not hiring a person because they're black or let, not letting them rent your apartment because they're black or you know, not letting them, whatever, exceed where they excel in. Yep. That, to me, is racism. It is racism. It's not a stupid word. Well, I, I, I think, given the timing of this, I think this was in reference to the first video. Right, it right? was, the 2018 video. Right, and, and so it's back, back to the false narrative of you had kids singing to a rap song, you had white kids singing to a rap song, caught on video, and that's what started all of this, right? right? And so if you're going to create the outrage, then it has to be wrong because of their race for them to have used that, even though the intent, I to your you. point, you're, that's the way I see it. Yeah, and if the two kids in the video happened to be black kids, right, there wouldn't have been an issue. Exactly. Right, which is a problem. I mean, I'm teaching my daughter. We don't, we don't use these. I'm not going right. to call you yep. the G word because I don't feel like I want to. 
right? I, yeah. Well, but, why would I do that? Okay. So when do um, we run out of letters? Because we only have twenty six of them. So just let me know when when uh, we've run out of the letters that we can no longer use. Well, we I should, mean, we need to I, stop glorifying this kind of language I, I, in music. And oh, by the way, which is you want horribly to, sexist. You, you want to you want to put that stuff out there, and you want me to buy your yeah. you want me to buy your album. Well, guess what? I'm not going to. Right. Yeah. Well, that's where as a parent, though, you can play a big role and making sure your, your kids don't listen to this garbage and then fall into this trap because what Linda doesn't realize, or maybe she does, is those people are permanently, because of what uh, Facebook is now and Twitter and Instagram, they have a permanent mark on their forehead, mark of the devil for the rest of their I, life, and they can never, I, ever I gotta get say, away from it. I know, I know Cato wants to jump in, but i I got to say also – Totally, I don't understand, and I totally reject the idea that we have no sympathy for the people that said that words. And I'm specifically re referencing the girls in the video. Why? Why would we not have sympathy for them? We need to understand why they did what they did. What was the context of it? How do we keep this from happening again? How do we encourage other people not to act this way? Um, these are the same people on the left who will tell you that. Uh, you know, a person of color who's come from a disadvantaged background, I'm using their language, um, who is uh, engaged in a life of crime, deserves a second chance. They deserve sympathy. So wait, so now sympathy is also to be doled out on the basis of immutable characteristics? Right. I totally reject that. So I, I don't really have anything more to add to this. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this. South Lake, if anyone that said the N-word, just like that video, is the target. Could you imagine, imagine some other area where it's totally not as white, use the term, even though by a white person, would that become an, an, an issue? Yeah, it wouldn't be an issue. It wouldn't uh, be an the issue. The wouldn't care because it doesn't feed their narrative and it doesn't help them achieve their goals. Their will to power is at play here, right? right. This, is, this, is, this is where Nietzsche comes in <laughs> to the argument, right? Well, let's say, let's say a group of good. white kids in Dallas said the N-word, would they, would they do this, react the same? If they were in Highland Park? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. So Plus I think, their mom and dad probably lose their job. Yeah, so you see, what I put it out is very ironic. Well. So, so I said I didn't have anything to add, but let, let, me, let me, and I don't want to go too deep down this hole, but, but I, I think there's a real concern that, that we develop into a society that has two, two legal structures, right? One that applies uh, to people that are oppressed and one that applies to Presser. people that are oppressors. Right. And you know, I think we saw a little bit of that over the summer when we saw cities burning and we saw a lot of things happen that we felt like law enforcement should have been involved in, but wasn't. And yet on January 6th, you have a bunch of knuckleheads storm the Capitol and the FBI has spent endless resources. Some are still in jail. Absolutely. To track these people One of them down. was shot in the face, unarmed, shot in the face. Yeah. So that's right. So the, the, the point I'm making is right, there's a reason that, that what, what I'm lady, not lady Liberty, um, justice is blind, right? right? Mm -hmm. The blindfold, Skills. right? It, it, it shouldn't, it should, it shouldn't matter what right. one's race is and rules shouldn't apply to someone based on these immutable characteristics. You don't, you don't think that right. statue's on the list of those to come down? Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> but that so should, I mean, and that should send shivers right. down the spine of every American. It so sending, should. circling back to ideology and philosophy, you know, I, again, I, I see this as a vicious circle of underachievement, ineptitude, resentment, hostility, and then revenge, and then rinse, wash, do it all over again. <clears throat> 
But I'd, I'd ask this panel, I'd say, what, what is this progressive ideology ever contributed to society? What did it contribute to America, Greece, Caesarian Rome, Italian Renaissance, European Enlightenment, Victorian Brittany, Bismarck in German, Germany, or the Gilded Age, Industrial Revolution in America? What, what has this ideology that we could possibly be bring, ushering into our city ever contributed to anything other than the infinite promise of utopia, which they've never, ever been able to deliver on? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's nothing new under the sun because human nature does not change. Exactly. And these people seem to think that they can perfect human nature through the social sciences. It's totally flawed to think that that's going to happen. And nature always comes in the back door. And if you want to see the results of it, look no further than those ancient cultures that you talked about. Where are they now? Yeah. What happened to them? Um, you know, the mob, democracy, and I'm not talking about democratic processes in a Republican form of government. I'm talking about true democracy where the 51% rules. That's what was Socrates the, feared. That was the undoing of ancient Greece. Right. Socrates, um, the you know, called the, the I majority. Mean, the tyranny of the majority, I believe. When, he when, there's, when there's an election, the candidates are up for election. You vote on the candidate. The Constitution is not up for the election. And I know that this isn't a you know partisan election. It's not Democrat-Republican, even though we've said that we think actually it kind of is. But, but constitutional processes are still part of this whole discussion, and they are not up for a vote. So we're down to 15 minutes because you turned to a pumpkin in 15 minutes. Yep. One minute. So uh, I, I, I think Juan said exactly what I would say, I, which is the founders had a keen understanding of human nature, and they built in to the Constitution balance of power for a reason. And, and blind justice for a reason. And, and when you start trying to perfect human nature, the way Juan said, to create some utopian society, you know, Thomas Sowell says, I'm not sure I 100% agree, but what he says is, you know, the left's vision of the world is better than the right's. The problem is it's impossible. Not, not better, more attractive. More, maybe that's the word yeah, to use. More, more attractive. attractive. But it's impossible. But it's impossible. It doesn't work. <laughs> right, yeah. and it's impossible because of human nature. We're, we're, we're all flawed human beings. And the founders deeply understood that. Well, yeah. the social, you call it the social scientists. Those yeah. that push for all these uh, critical race theory, I think they have done more damage to race relation in the recent decades than anyone else has in our history. They, we, we were moving along and everybody's getting, but then critical race theory has actually opened up a can of worms here, you know? And to me, social scientist is an oxymoron. There's no science in social scientists. I've heard you say it before. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. So as we kind of wind this up, um, I got a feeling that we're not going to be able to talk about Southern strategy. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's we'll have to have a part two. All right, but uh, I, I think what we need to do with it is a call to action at this point, and and ask people to really get out and vote this time because it makes a difference. Remember, why do you think you're paying ten, twenty percent more for your house than a hundred yards in any direction that puts you in Grapevine or Colleyville? Or Keller. Why do you think that is? 
is because of the superiorness of the school. And this school doesn't really care where you come from, China, India, Vietnam, West Texas. It doesn't matter. As long as you can afford a house to live here and pay the taxes, you're welcome to live in Southlake. That's that's uh, the hard, cold reality. So my call to action would be a quote from uh, Alex de Tocqueville. He basically said, he described democracy in America. Uh, that, that was the name of his flyer. It was called Democracy in America. That the foundation has been active, formed by active and informed civic participation of its citizens. And that's what I'm asking you to do is to become active. Uh, don't just you go vote. Don't just your kids go vote. Talk to the people in your, uh, your uh, circle. Get them out to vote. This is a really, really important election. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Nope. Who, who are you endorsing for this election? So I have, I have met uh, twice with Linda. I've met uh, probably four times with Cam. One, two, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> about two times with uh, <clears throat> Hannah Smith and I have not met with Ed even though I talked to him last night and all of all of uh, all of them I find attractive people that, that I like on a personal level but uh, I have contributed um, money to now to Hannah and to Cam and they have my unfettered uh, support at this point I just can't imagine I can't I can't support uh, some of the stances that uh, I feel is endemic in Linda and Ed's positions. It's and the city council candidates? I, I'm not going to touch those right now. There's okay. still some evolution going on. So I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not even worried about it. I can't even get these guys to come in and interview anymore. So I've kind of, you know, it's, it's been a little bit frustrating. But how about you, Wild, Wild Man? Okay, so Hannah Smith, I have met numerous times. And uh, Cameron, Ryan, I, uh, I think they're great. I think they're honest, and I'm going to endorse them, and I have you know, contributed money to them. I would love to meet Ed and Linda. Yeah, yeah I think they're great people, and I respect everyone that is running yeah, for of office, and that, to me, is a call to duty. No, and no, no, I respect I, that. Let, let me just say, Ed, Ed and I talked about that last night, and, and uh, he talked about you know, how difficult it is running an election, and I totally empathize with him. I, I won city council in another city. I ran for mayor, got beat, uh, but like uh, only lost by a small percentage, but like in, uh, what do you call it, hand grenades and horseshoes? <laughs> Close as a matter of opinion. But uh, So anyhow, I respect all those candidates willing to spend the money, the time, the effort, you know, to, it digs into their own personal fan. I know exactly the emotional roller coaster that all four of these men on. Robert. Yeah, I, I, I would want to start by, <coughs> by thanking all four of them for running, for sure. right? Because it, yeah, they're, they're, they're putting their heart and soul into running for a volunteer job. That's, that's a, right. So you have, you have to thank them for that. I've only met three of the four. Um, and look, I'm a conservative and um, a fiscal conservative and a social conservative. And when I, I sit down and talk with Cam, he is a fiscal conservative through and through. And I'm very concerned with what's been going on. You know, we're spending bond money, long-term money for short-term expenses. Mm, that has point. got to stop. Yeah. That has got, that is insanity. You, I mean, anybody that manages a household budget knows that if, if you're spending, if, if you're living off your credit cards, that's not going to go very long. 
And so I, I feel strongly Cam is the kind of leader we need to get the physical house in order. Hannah, um, wow, you know, in the middle of CCAP to have an attorney of her stature, someone who's argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, uh, someone who's defended religious freedom. Anybody that had a job title that included defending freedom has got my vote. She was a clerk for uh, Alito, wasn't she? She was a clerk for two of the Supreme Court justices. I think Thomas as well. Right? Thomas and Alito, yeah. yeah. So so I, I, we, we, I can't, can't believe how fortunate we are to have both of Cam and Hannah running, and, I, and I'm, I've full-throated endorsement for both of those two. Uh, I'm supporting them financially and uh, certainly be voting for Before Juan jumps in, I, I want to recognize a, a flaw in this presentation today. We did not talk about financing. And I apologize to the audience yeah. because we actually could have peeled off 30 minutes and yeah. talked about uh, some of the, the, the goofy notes that's going on in yeah. regards to financing. So I apologize for that up front. Maybe we can do another episode. Why, why don't you kick us out of here? Well, like, like Robert said, I'm, I'm a conservative, and I start from the position of what I am, not what they are. Um, and when I think about what does it mean to be a conservative, what is it that I'm conserving? It's the Constitution. It's constitutional principles. It's the Declaration of Independence, the first organic law of this country. And if you don't know what that means, I encourage you to go look it up. Um, and, and when I think about those things, the two candidates that most closely uh, would, would defend those things are Hannah and Cam. And so uh, that's, the, uh, that's the basis for my endorsement of both of those candidates. Um, I appreciate the fact that Ed's positions are clear. I think they're completely wrong. I'd like to talk to him about it. You know, maybe he's willing to change uh, his positions based on a discussion, and, and that would gain a lot of respect for me. Um, I don't know Ed. I don't know Linda either. Um, and I'm, I'm a little leery of the obfuscation of what her platform actually is and what it stands for. But as I've kind of laid out the case today, I can draw that out uh, from some of the – I can draw out the implicitness from the, ex, the explicitness and uh, – I don't think she's the right candidate for the school board. I don't think Ed is right now either. Come talk to me. Well, so so we're going to wrap up episode 32, National Agenda Comes to Local uh, Politics here in Southlake. But uh, hopefully people took this for what it was intended to be. It's the discussions that most of us are having in the community right now about this election. This is a lunch or a dinner or a breakfast discussion over coffee and tea. And, and hopefully we've been able to really flesh out some of the the discussions and answer a lot of the questions. I know that we're not going to appeal to a lot of people. I got that. But hopefully what we talked about is honest, it's reflective, it's showed a lot of, shined a lot of light on what's going on. And uh, I just have to say I love this community. I've been here for eight years, but I'm fourth-generation Texan. And so I love my state. I love what it stands for. I like this community. I don't want to see it change. And I'm not talking racially. I could care less what the race of the community is. But I want 98% of those kids going to college and doing well in college. That's what I want to see. I want to see our academics. I want to see Carroll Medical Academy. I don't want to see, and I'd like to see, uh, Cam came up with the idea of Carroll Business Academy, which me being the entrepreneur and capitalist pig that I am, I went and picked up the domain name immediately as soon as he suggested it so I don't know what's going to happen with it but let's hope that we can get the funding I know Linda talked about the funding for that last night through a grant but you know 
maybe we shouldn't always have to rely on the government for money and for handouts. I, I, I mean, to that. they're already sending us trillions of dollars uh, from the last was it 1.9 million bucks? All the schools are going to be yeah. getting money for, for whatever. Um, so that that's kind of my my closing uh, thoughts um, on that. <laughs> but I, I would say though, there are I've talked to a lot of the private uh, equity guys in the community, uh, investment equity guys, a lot of the businesses, and I think they're really willing to get behind and doing the startup seed money that it takes to do this Carroll Business Academy. And I think it'll be gang buster, bu- buster success if we do it. And that's, Cam kind of uh, was telling me about his ideas on that. So if you guys don't have anything, we're going to wrap it. Thanks everybody for listening to Wise Guy Talks episode 32. God bless you. Have a great day.